they show things visually, I'm going to follow that. I may not have the time to read the whole blog, but I'm going to just follow the images and say, okay, well, I got to do this, I got to do this, or I'll save it for later, or I know what these guys are talking about. So it's, uh, the visuals are really important. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Ben Kazink. Ben runs the condo operation at Maple. He has got seven plus years in digital marketing, previously works for an eight-figure e-commerce brand. Ben has published articles on Fast Company, Invoca, Luke, Sandy Bull, and Sane Parker. In his free time, you can find him come up with new creative ideas to 10x Maple. Ben, welcome. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I think this is my first podcast appearance in a very long time. Okay, we, we had uh, quite a few uh, first-timers here at the podcast, and all the interviews uh, went really well. So I, I'm sure that this one will, will be great as well. Uh, but before we get started with you know some of the questions I've prepared for you today, uh, can you say a few things about you and your background? Um, I mean, beyond uh, or even expand on the things I, I said in the intro. Sure, yeah. Um grew up in Israel and then I, I grew up half in Israel, half in, in the States. And finishing college, I was doing environmental studies. It's kind of my background, like ecology, a little bit of biology. And then um and then I realized I'm really into marketing. It was too late to switch. So I ended up doing sales for a solar company, Solar City. Um, they were bought out by Tesla. And and then I there I really kind of just experimented with my own businesses, branding, logos, websites, different things. And then when we moved back to Israel, then I just kind of fell into content, um, which was great. It's a good fit. Uh, I've been doing that for seven years or so. And I actually hated writing when I was a kid. Totally hated writing. It was like my worst favorite, least favorite subject. So my parents hired a tutor. Now this lady sat down with me and she explained to me how to write an essay. I started loving it. So that's the ironic thing. Um, also English is not my first language, it's my third language. So it's funny because now I get to work in English and write full time. Both things I didn't like slash didn't know when I was a kid. So life takes you to unexpected places. Well, definitely, it definitely does. And now you're at uh, Maple. And uh, for people who haven't heard of Maple before, can you please share a couple of things, uh, like a quick blurb about the company and its products and what the company does and sh who gets yeah. the most value out of like uh, Maple? Sure. 
Yeah, so at Maple, we are a platform where we match brands with vetted marketers. So I've worked for an e-commerce brand. One of the hardest things in my job was to find the right marketer or the right agency. So I hire an agency, I would like their pitch, you know, you have to buy into the pitch, into their case studies and whatever. And you say, okay, well, leap of faith, I have to trust you and wait to see what happens. And two, three months later, you find out either they're not a good fit or they didn't have the experience they claimed to have or just didn't work out, no results. It starts from scratch. So that was probably the hardest part of my job. And in Maple, that's the problem that we try to solve. We take marketers and we vet them ourselves. We look at their data, right? Because we're not the customer. So we can look at their data, sign an NDA, see what they've done and, and see what niches they've actually succeeded in and which channels have succeeded. And then we match them to the brand. So a shoe company comes to us, we find them and they want to do Google ads. So we find them an expert Google ads marketer that has experience with shoes or apparel or something related. And we, we match them together and essentially, and it's really flexible month to month. You can try people for a month. You can, and some companies end up joining and building a whole team from our you know pool of marketers. So it's just a better way to hire marketing talent. And we've, We've shown that it works much better, much quicker. With most of the companies we work with are e-commerce. We do dabble in B two B, and um, we've built a community of over a thousand vetted marketers. That's kind of that's what we do. Without, I, I I don't want to get into the specifics of it, but do you consider yourself a like competitor? Or do you consider Maple a competitor of like? Uh, more traditional freelance marketplaces like Upwork or um, People Per Hour or Fiverr, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, well, yeah, those ones are definitely our competitors. Also, Marketer Hire does something similar to what we do. A lot of people have heard of them, but we have more data built into it, AI, and then we actually have the tools to manage these uh, the marketers. So we take. For example, we take responsibility over the payments. So the marketer doesn't have to chase the brand for payment, if they're late, or if their car doesn't work. We do all that. We pay the marketer regardless. We we do a lot of the customer service. So we help marketing agencies build their business, essentially. They can focus on marketing. We do everything else. That's that's a really good uh, I mean, service. Um, and while at Maple, you managed to get website's traffic, organic traffic from zero to, let's say, uh, more than 50K uh, monthly visits. Um, and my question is, how can you do that? How can someone get from zero to 50K per month? Well, very simple. We got kind of lucky in the beginning that we had we had a, a post go viral, viral. We had a we made a marketing plan template and it went viral and people loved it and shared about it. So we started there and then we kind of looked at, when I joined, we looked at what are the topics that we, we write about. So it took a few things, a few strategies. First is building a cluster, focusing on the topic and writing about it, not going, you know, let's write about influencers or we don't have anything on influencers. It's like picking specific topics. 
And we started with e-commerce marketing. And then I learned how to optimize a post. People talk about that. And it's not at all, you know, they make it seem like a fluffy term. Oh, you need to optimize it. What does that mean? And I have no idea. You know, throw some keywords and hope that it works. And with with our team, we've really nailed down an exact process for how to optimize a post. And you'd be surprised how many people have no clue. They just have no clue how to do it. Um, so we did that. And so essentially, and then we worked on content velocity. We realized that a lot of teams are outperforming, especially LinkedIn influencers that talk about it. Um, influencers that talk about SEO on LinkedIn. They're outperforming because they're publishing more posts than an average team. So especially if you look at bigger companies, they talk about publishing two to four posts, blog posts a month. You know, one of them could be like a guide or, a, you know, white paper. And we we just scratched that completely. We said, let's do 15, let's do 20, let's do 30 a month. And so that's been really successful because we're just multiplying our reach. We're seeing what works. We take that, we optimize it, we update our posts regularly. And then we go to the next one. Um, and we did do backlinks in the beginning. Our SEO guy did backlinks. And then we said, forget backlinks. We got enough, I think. And now we're not doing any backlinks. We're just doing content, quality, velocity, pumping out good, good practical tips for people. And I ask you something like a couple of follow-ups here. You mentioned first, uh, the first element was you managed to build momentum on the basis of a very successful piece of content. Was that this was published on the blog, right? And it's yep. And how did you understand that this was successful? It, I I assume that it became viral on on social media, right? Yeah, people shared about it, and then it started getting backlinks, just natural organic backlinks. And then eventually it was the most, uh, the content with the most traffic per month. So it reached, it was a 2000 and then we updated it and we added more supporting content to it. And it hit five, 10,000 views per month. And then whatever we built on top of that, you know, succeeded when it's contextual, when it's a related topic, then those things support each other. Google sees, okay, it's not just a fluke. You know what you're talking about. Here's the topic. You've, you've built 30, 40 blog posts on that particular topic. And then that page goes up. Do you think that there, there is a, or there was a correlation between social shares and all, you know, the buzz that uh, you managed to create with this piece of content on social media? to the performance of this piece organically? Or is it, it got attention, this attention then translated into like people linking back to it from their websites and thus, you know, it, it, it got rankings, high rankings, let's say. Or would you attribute some of that success to social service and the buzz on social media? I think some of it was definitely social media, but I think the main thing is that when people looked at the piece, they said, wow, I got to have that template. That looks great. And so the image started ranking number one on Google. So for a bunch of terms, when people download the template, Google probably saw that, you know, people are clicking through and they're getting, and it's a conversion and that how that's how it went. People actually, 
we found it translated in different languages. We found a whole page in Russian that translated the whole blog post we uh, we wrote. So it was, uh, I don't know if it was plagiarism, but we didn't care. It didn't really affect us. But uh, I think the social gave it a, bu- a boost, but then the quality of that content is what really matters. And a lot of that's visual. We were able to capture that interest visually, like, wow, that template, I would actually use that. So people are still downloading it today. So if we do that with other pages, and that's where I think, you know, blogs like, you know, Brian Dean's blog and Ahrefs, when they show things visually and SEMrush, they show things visually, I'm going to follow that. I may not have the time to read the whole blog, but I'm going to just follow the images and say, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, or I'll save it for later, or I know what these guys are talking about. So it's, uh, the visuals are really important. I don't know. I'm intrigued. Like, uh, I don't pay the marketing plan templates, but uh, I will go, go and check, uh, your website after, after the recording. Uh, and of course we will, we will drop it in the sonos. Uh, the second thing I would like to, to ask as a follow-up question, um, you mentioned optimization. Can you speak about that? I mean, because as you, as you mentioned, it's, it's one of these things that I don't know so many blog posts and videos and like all sorts of uh, content pieces have been uh, published around this topic. But I also understand that every person has their own way of like doing things, right? And so I would like to know what your optimization process entails and how you approach optimization for uh, the content you put out at, at Maple. Sure. I think one of the magical things about SEO is that everything, what what works and what doesn't is on display for you. You don't have to guess. Like if I'm making an ad, you know, okay, I'll use a reference and I'll look at some competitors, but I'm not going to know if it's going to work at all. And there's so many data points and the audience and the this and that. With SEO, you pick a term that you want to rank for, you see the top search results, you know what's working. You may not know how much traffic they're getting, but that you can calculate kind of based on the search volume, but you're seeing who's on top. So essentially, and early on, I learned that the things that are on top, those are the the best pieces of content. So the first thing is I find the right keyword. That's a whole conversation in itself. Sometimes it's to build a cluster. So for example, we had a post about marketing strategy. Then we looked at all the supporting, possible supporting topics on that. So we looked at, we read, we wrote a post on marketing strategy books and marketing strategy, marketing strategists and all the different things related to it that we thought are easy enough terms to rank for. But we have the keyword. And then I manually go and look at the search results and I look at the their titles, the meta descriptions, what are the main topics that they hit on? You know, what what do they talk about? What angle I could choose to add something extra? You know, for for example, with the post on books, if you look up marketing strategy books, you get a whole list of the top books, right? And it was really easy to see the differentiator, that what what differentiates the top, the top search results. Like they had all the links to all the different places you could buy the book. And they had all the different, all different information the user would want to learn on each book before, you know, checking it out on Amazon. And that's essentially what I'm doing. I, I take the keyword and I'm thinking to myself, based on my target audience, what information they want to get out of this? What would be the most useful thing to them? Uh, very user-centric. 
So I take that, I look at all these different um, variables, and then I plug it into a tool, either Phrase or Surfer SEO or Market Muse. There's a bunch of these tools. Plug it in, and what those tools do is they take, they analyze all the search, all the top search results, and they get a whole list of keywords based on you know those results. And so we're using Phrase, works really well for us, um, and it basically shows me, let's say one keyword shows up in eight of the search results and it shows up on average three times. So then I know, okay, like I gotta just optimize as I go. So once I have that brief, I'll create the brief for the title, the meta description, the topics, which is the headers, H2s, H3s, um, um, internal links, what are the other pages I should link to? And then if it's for a writer, so I'll use references, I'll add those search results. Then I put it into phrase and then the writer or me, if I'm writing it, I have that list of keywords on the right. So I look at that list. I write the article knowing he's, here are some of the things I need to hit on. And at the end, I optimize that I sprinkle more of those keywords in there organically, contextually, you know, without being too spammy. And um, there's also the FAQs. I look at um, anything that Google displays there is gold. So if there's FAQs, if there's a rich snippet, right? If there's a featured snippet, if there's any kind of rich data there, if there's Wikipedia or anything like that, I try to incorporate that in the article because that's clearly what Google sees that people want to know about. Um, and then I have that really detailed brief and I share of the writer or I write it myself, um, add the FAQs, add visuals. I try it at every scroll depth I add an image. It's better to have your own branded images, obviously, to have it more, you know, organized and branded with your own name. And then we publish it. And then we build links to that post from other posts. And I've heard it said by other SEO pros that internal links are just as important as backlinks. So people focus all the time, look, I'm going to build 10 backlinks and I'm going to buy them, right? Instead, why don't you build links to your new post you just published from your existing content? You can take 10 other posts of your own posts and just link it contextually. Um, and that's been really, really beneficial for us. So altogether, that's a process that works. We just replicate that on each post and, uh, and we watch it, you know, the rankings grow. Thanks for the breakdown. Would you say that... Um... I mean, from what I hear, your main focus when it comes to how you do content at uh, Maple is on on SEO. Is that right? Or is it that, yeah, yeah we do SEO, but that's, I don't know, let's say 80% of our operations, right? We also focus on this more product-focused pieces or a bit more original content and so on. Is that something you do or is it purely SEO content? We've done some of the other stuff. I'd say it's been like 10%. Uh, we've done like PR pieces, we've done branding, different things like that, things for social media. But yeah, for what I, what I do is mostly SEO. Do you, are you at all, um, I don't know if concerned is the right way, but do you see that playbook uh, changing in the like, maybe not so near future, if um, 
Google's SG search generative experience plays out to be like a big change for, for search? Or like, do you think that, you know what, websites will keep getting traffic, right? Uh, I, I would like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think for sure things will change, but it's incremental. It's not black and white. So people like to say, oh, everything's going to change. Forget SEO. You know, three years ago, people were saying, SEO's dead. So I think it depends on the user. So human nature doesn't change that quickly. We search on Google, we search on TikTok, we search on YouTube. So if you make some incremental changes in your strategy and add in videos and add in different elements, um, short videos, long, long videos for YouTube, and also, um, you know, thought leadership pieces and show a different angle to each topic, then I think you're going to stay on top. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of brands that have been on top of the search results for like six years and they're still there and their content's super outdated, or maybe they have like a billion links built, but the, the post itself is very low value. So I don't think it's going to change overnight. I also think that a lot of the AI is going to be, it's obviously it's, it's searching, it's using existing content, displaying it in a different way, probably going to allow the user to click through and learn more about it. So as long as you're playing around with all these different things, it's going to be there. If you invest in videos and then something happens to your organic search results, you'll still be there ranking on YouTube. So that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, I also like the fact that it's not black and white. I mean, the problem with that is that what you mainly see on social media platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever is like extreme opinions, right? It's either SEO is dead or SEO is not going anywhere. It could be that with a change like this, websites may lose some traffic but it may not be as catastrophic or, you know, like doomsday scenario that a whole industry is going to go away overnight. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's what I see at least. Yeah, I think if people lose traffic, the most important thing is your leads, your conversions. So sometimes you may lose traffic on things that don't really convert for you anyway. I had a friend who was a technical SEO expert who said that he saw, he was working for a client, they had thousands of pages built through prog programmatic SEO, and it was bringing in like millions, maybe a million visitors, but nothing was happening. They weren't converting. So he just told them, delete all these pages. So they deleted everything. Their other stuff went up because Google also looks at the quality, looks at the engagement of the user. So sometimes you lose out on low, low performing uh, posts. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for the brand overall. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. My understanding is that as I was doing research for this episode, that you are targeting e-commerce businesses, and I would like to ask if that's indeed uh, right. If I got it right, I would like to ask what are the pros and cons of targeting a specific audience uh, with your current strategy? Well, we realized that in the beginning, we were kind of open to everybody. 
So anybody could come, a startup, a big company, e-commerce, a law firm, anybody could come and find a marketer. But then we realized that we don't have enough a variety of marketers that like we don't have enough manpower to build. You know, if, if somebody comes, wants a specific need, so we need to present them with three or maybe have 10 or 20 marketers with that expertise in that niche, we just couldn't do everything. So we have to narrow down to a specific one or two um, audience uh, customer personas. So we've narrowed it down to e-commerce because they have they usually have the marketing budget. They're heavy on ads. We were super successful in our ads offerings. And um, and they can grow. Huge opportunity to grow. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel with them. We don't have to teach them about marketing, tell them, oh, here's how you build a website. They have everything. So um, that, was a good, that was a good win-win for us. It was a difficult transition because we then had to shut off all the other you know, not services, but all the other types of mark of customers we were going after. Um, but it was a very good for my team anyway. It's just so much to talk about, and it's so much changing in e-commerce. Yeah, every year there's new tools they get acquired. There's other things, there's other technologies. There's so much changing, so it's just a very exciting field to be in. Um, and very very visual. You know, the so many examples we could choose so many you know different tools we could show so i think it was just the right decision for us um then yeah once you have that niche you build on those case studies then you can get other similar people or you can go up up the ladder and get you know bigger companies to work with i think everybody should do that everyone should focus on you know here's the perfect customer let's go after that and then we can broaden a bit, see if it makes sense. Okay, it makes sense to me. Um, I would like to ask you something uh, that goes back to like the, the the business model and essentially the the type of, of business that Maple is. As I hear it, obviously Maple is a like a very sophisticated uh, marketplace with uh, a, a very robust vetting process. But at the same time, I think that at some level you you compete against ports like Upwork, um, um, Fiverr, and so on and so forth. And the thing with those folks is that you know we are talking about big brands and big web websites behind these brands, right? My question would be how it is like competing against those websites, and what learnings, if any, uh, you got from competing against, uh, you know, the upworks of, of the world? Sure. Well, I think our, in terms of the, the business team and our core business, you can't even compare. Like we're a completely different offering. Like instead of somebody buying something, it, usually most of those platforms are super, super cheap. Um, or you have to do all the work yourself essentially if you're looking for let's say landing page design so you're going to get 50 people to message you then you're going to go interview them you do all the legwork yourself and instead here we have vetted people that we just you know somebody comes to us we say here are the top three people that you should work with based on data based on 50 different factors so in terms of the business we didn't really compete with them directly we just the new way to do things in fact some of their 
um, executive team members actually invested in us because they saw that this is just the better way to 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 offer marketing services. But in terms of organic SEO, I've lo- learned a ton from them. Um, there's a lot of they have a lot of pages. I actually looked at you know their sitemaps and looked at what what are the type of pages that they get traffic from. What are you know what are their keywords? And I realized that a lot of times these guys they're they're huge. Maybe they didn't do this in the beginning, but I think now now they they have a ton of pages that focus on the bottom of the funnel and tiny tiny little keywords that normally you would overlook. Like let's say, I don't know, Facebook, hire Facebook ads marketer. So if you go and look that up in Ahrefs, has a zero search volume. You say, oh, never mind. I'll just go to the next thing. But Upwork ranks for all those terms, hundreds and hundreds of those terms. So what we did at Maple, I decided, well, let's do the same thing. So I took a bunch of those higher type of keywords and created landing pages road content um, and we start ranking for those um, and those convert really well they get us the most leads because people are searching for that that matches the search intent and even you know if you get to the top three search results you get most of the traffic so that's been our goal so really zero search volume keywords are huge I, I understand and the example was uh, was great by the way um, I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss something that we sort of touched on um, earlier, which is AI content. And I don't know, general thoughts on AI content and whether you see any valid use cases for Maple and other uh, SaaS companies. Yeah, I think everyone's been saying it, that really AI content is not good enough yet for long form blog posts. So it's it may be great for an email, an email campaign, for a social media ad, for a social media post maybe, it's getting there, but not for a blog post. But I think for us, it's sped up some of our processes. So I don't know, maybe 50% of your blog post is pretty generic stuff. If you're writing about audience segmentation, so the SEO best practice and what the user is looking for and what ranks well is d- describing what that is, describing different types of audio segmentation. So a lot of those things are pretty boring to write. They already exist. You just have to rephrase existing definitions and whatever. Instead, you feed that to ChatGPT or any other AI tool, you can get that skeleton of your blog post written for you. And then you add your, your examples, you know, your transitions between paragraphs, the intro, the conclusion, your own spin on things, um, just speeds up writing. And sometimes, especially if you have a writer's block, it's really good, like you're stuck in a sentence. Okay, you say, okay, finish the sentence for me. And that's worked. Uh, It's a great tool to uh, decrease um, burnout, I think. Because it's, most writers that write a lot and have written for a lot of years, they're burnt out, they much rather edit something. So here with ChatGPT, you can create, you know, maybe 50% of your blog post and then edit and then pretend like it's someone else's writing and just edit. It's a much better process. So I think it can speed up processes, but I don't think it can reduce 
good quality pieces. And I think you need to be smart in how you incorporate it. Like if if you're doing a lot with AI, like what big publishers are doing or starting to do, then you have to say it. They say it, and then they have somebody who proofread it, or somebody who edited it, or somebody who you know, make fact checked it, and then you display those people on your on your blog posts, and then that even builds, you know, shows that you have more authority with Google that there's certain people, especially if it's like in the medical niche, so you have actual doctors fact checking information. So I think it depends. If you're if you're really technical, if your niche is technical, then I think AI will help you more. But if you're more on the creative side, it's like e-commerce and you have to bring examples and show that, then it'll help you less. But you can't use it exclusively. That's a recipe for disaster. That's what I think. Um, I would like to go back to something you mentioned about uh, topic clusters and building you know, topics uh, as 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 topic clusters and going you know keywords and going after keywords and subtopics and so on. Do you have a certain process around that? Um, I'm mostly interested in how you make decisions on what's going to be a topic cluster and what's going to be you know just a know, four or five blog posts, right? Um, is there what what is your your process there? And then I mean if you can expand on anything from, I don't know, how you structure the pages to URL structure even. Uh, I'd love to to share uh, how you do things. Sure. I think the first thing to look at when you're building a cluster is what converts well for the business. So what's aligned? And that's one of the challenges when you're hiring somebody SEO that's external. So they're not going to know. They're going to just give you a bunch of ideas. Here, do this. But then they don't have sometimes the visibility or the data to actually see what's working. Um, so looking at that first, and then if, you know, we look at the topics or the keywords that are doing well, we're ranking for the blog posts that are doing well. So if something's doing really well, we want to build more things around it if it matches with our business goals and how you build things around it. So one is you look at the different, um, the different, the, the different stages in the funnel. So you look at, okay, if this is a post that's really top of the funnel, so let's build bottom of the funnel stuff for this and then connect it all together. Um, usually I recommend starting at the bottom. Start with that question that your customer searches for before they go to you and start shopping with your business, right? Or sign up for your trial or whatever. That exact question, start with with that. And then branch out, go up the funnel. Uh, there's many different ways to find supporting topics. One way is to look at what you already rank for. So let's say, let's say you have a post on marketing strategy. Well, let's say you rank for some obscure term like marketing strategy calendar or something, let's say. And you're on like spot 99. So take those terms that you really, you're, they're, you know, at the end, you're not getting any traffic for that, that post is not going to, you're not going to be able to optimize it for those, po- for those topics. Um, and then, and then make sure, look at the search results for those, for those keywords and make sure it's not the same or similar to what you wrote about already. And depending on your website, look at the keyword difficulty, look at the search volume, see what's worked for you in the past, and then write on those. You can also look at your competitors and see what they've written about. 
you can also think about just your 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 customer and connect your existing topic to other questions they've asked you in, in conversations in your demos you know talk to your sales team get ideas that way and i would say a lot of seo why it's so obscure and people are so like put off by it is because people won't take the time to write down their results you know it's just like any area of marketing you have a hypothesis you test it out with seo it takes a little longer it takes three months or six months to understand something worked right and you really have to isolate the variable so you asked me about urls with urls you just have to test it out you know create a few pages with short urls create a few with long urls and then isolate that variable don't change anything else right do everything else the same and in three months, see what worked. Um, it's just harder with SEO because you're usually dealing with websites that don't have a lot of um, a lot of data. But that's why if you're working with somebody who has a few experience, a few years of experience in your niche, then you can say, okay, this is what works in my niche. It's very niche based. You know, I've worked with cybersecurity clients. There's things that work there that do not work in marketing in terms of SEO. So it's really just testing it out. You test it out, you see what works, you write it down, and then you create the next hypothesis. And you say, okay, let me do, let me try this. See if that worked. And if it didn't, go back to the drawing board. But um, it's a very, you have to have a lot of patience. Lots of great points there. Uh, I, and I, I generally subscribe to that. Certain things may work in one like vertical uh, you mentioned cybersecurity, and they may not work uh, in another one. Um, so I, I I agree. Uh, I agree with that. Um, second to last question I have for you before we start wrapping things up would be, what where do you see all this you know going uh, SEO, and you could also say content marketing because there is an overlap. Uh, for SaaS companies, what what do you think the future holds for for SaaS companies when it comes to SEO and content marketing? I think it's all about the the personality behind the brand. I think it's all about the brand story. And if there's a face that you can connect with, then I think that's a winning formula. I've seen so many startups they didn't even have to, you know, go full in on SEO. They just have to create really really good content, high quality content, share it on social media in the right way, and then they get traction because they're sharing their story. I think that's what people searchers are going to be looking for. That's what's really going to differentiate you when you have personal videos, when you have personal examples in your posts, when you have an opinion piece, instead of writing the old, you know, what is marketing strategy? Write a piece on an opinion or a case study or something you've actually tested on a topic and I think uh, just like with social media it's already showing us that personal profiles are seeing much more traction than company profiles so it doesn't make sense why don't I do the same thing on my blog company blog you know have have my author profile pick then also have a video from the author or maybe an audio file from the author or different types of content that could make that experience more personal for the user and really ingrain it into your you know, design. I think that's where things are going. And very, very short form. I don't know. I don't know if people read blog posts all the way anymore. Yeah. Maybe they skim through. 
Maybe they read half, a third, I don't know. But if it's like, the, I can think of only a handful that I've written, that I've read the last few months. Some of them were just a specific strategy. Here's how you do X. And they go into like a detailed strategy. That's maybe because I'm in marketing. So that's the kind of things I read. But being super practical and then that personal angle. I think that's where it's all going to be in the next three to five years. Anything generic is out the window. Is it easier though to to adapt? I mean, because like we've all been used in, or not all of us, all of us, I mean, I don't want to be absolute, but many of us have been used to this like cookie cutter approach to 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 content, especially content for a search audience, right? Right. So do you think it would be it will be easy uh, moving forward to to adapt for SaaS companies and have this personal flair and um be a bit more genuine and so that there are actual like human beings be- behind the content and you know build uh, content that way i think it's much easier than you think i think a lot of people you know think you have to hire some kind of the perfect content manager that not only has a personality but also knows how to make videos and is an influencer and can optimize for seo just like this unicorn but uh it doesn't have to be that difficult. You can interview, you can pick a few experts, you can interview them on a specific topic, and then you can have your team, you know, get the transcript, write it out, create blog posts on the topic, add the add whatever optimization you need and all the different things, but make it more personal, you know, and, and so just, it's all about your process. And it's also not going to replace 100% of your content. I think you'll still have 30% of that generic stuff that we need, maybe another 30% of how-tos, instructions, help pages, different things. Um, and then maybe a 30% will be kind of that new take on things, expert tips, things like that. So if you built it in there just a little bit and then continue going with it, I think it would really work well. But it's not, it's not such a big deal, you know? Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Um, and I think that's a great way to to start rubbing things up. Last question I have for you, um, Ben, where can people find out more uh, and connect with you if, if they'd like to? Yeah, check out my LinkedIn. You can check out Maple's blog, maple spelled M-A-Y-P-L-E.com. Um, we're putting on a bunch of events all the time. So if you follow me on LinkedIn or follow Maple on LinkedIn, you'll see a ton of cool different events. Um, and if you're a marketer, come join us, apply on the website, join our community. Um, super valuable. Everybody's helping each other, you know, in our community. And uh, it's great. Great place to be. That was a very insightful uh, conversation. Uh, ben, Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for yeah. uh, being on the show. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.